sorry, just to um, welcome you as we're <laughs> as we're gathering um, today. You're you're very welcome if you're new here to Gospel in the City, um, or if you're a regular, well, equally welcome. Um, I'm just conscious of people's time, so I'm just trying to keep us to the to the time that we have. So. Um, if you were here last week, you would have met Andrew Elder, who was here to, <laughs> to talk to us about um, on, in our series about how to be strange. And last week we were looking about uh, how to be strangely resilient. And this week oh, we're looking at how to be strangely focused. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Um, and is there anything, Andrew, you wanted to say on that before we start in terms of the intro? No, why don't you uh, just carry on? No, why don't you? Sorry, I'm stepping in last minute, so apologies. It's uh, off the cuff. Um, so I'm going to read the passage that you have in front of you on the tables, and then I'll pray, and then hand over to Andrew. So uh, the Bible readings from 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves from, with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I'll just pray as we start. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for gathering us here today in a busy working week and to give us the opportunity to listen to your word and to understand how that applies to the lives that we live outside this room and in our daily work. Um, We thank you again for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. There we go. Uh, It's good to see you all again. if I wasn't, if you weren't here last week, um, my name is Andrew. Uh, I'm a pastor of Village Church. We just planted a church seven months ago in, in, on the, in the Ormo Road area. Um, so I lead that church plant. Um, I, I want to start by getting you guys to think for a second about uh, what your mind is usually focused on. Um, your name is Laura, right? Yes. I'm so sorry. I, I'm really bad with names. It's a good quality for a pastor to be bad with names, isn't it? Um, what is your, I want to start by maybe thinking about what your mind is, is focused on. What, what, is your, what is your mind focused on most of the time? So I imagine when you're in work, your mind is focused on solitaire or Minesweeper probably a lot of the time or, or Facebook. Um, today, this morning, I was at, my wee boy is five. He's MP1 and we had a sports day. And um, 
as part of that, he was in a relay race. So eight, there was four teams of four kids, and each one had a beanbag, which they had to run through a slalom, and then at the end, uh, put their beanbag in a hoop, and then run back again. And uh, let's just say that my boy was not focused on the task at hand. Uh, so when he got to the hoop, he decided it would be a good idea to tidy up some of the other kids' beanbags. So he was lifting the ones that were outside the circle and putting them in. And he wasn't really focused on the race that he was running. And I think that's a pretty powerful metaphor for uh, what we're going to be speaking about today. So, so thank you to Finley, my boy, for thinking about that. So let's take a couple of minutes just as we begin, uh, one to two minutes, um, and ask yourself this question. You can maybe write it down. What is your mind focused on most of the time? Uh, maybe you want to just take some personal reflection time and, and, and maybe jot some notes down for a few seconds. So anybody want to give any uh, any feedback? What do you, what do you, what is your mind focused on? What comes to mind when I ask that question? What do you spend your time thinking about? My next project. Next project. What do you do? I work for a Christian book publisher. Okay, your next project. So that's slightly holy, you know. So you're maybe off the hook. And then Twitter. And then Twitter. <laughs> Anyone else? Food. Food. I'm with you. I'm like that a lot. Um, but it tends to be, uh, I think that we don't really put a lot of thought or consideration into what we spend our time thinking about. Um, last week, we, we saw this idea that we are to be, uh, that Christians are to be strangely resilient through suffering, through the hard times, when, when people give us a hard time for, for being Christians, when we're seen as strange, when we're seen as different. We have a resilience in that that comes through, um, that comes through uh, the, the victory of Jesus. Um, but then in this section of, uh, that we just had, the Lord just read for us in, in chapter 4, we see that, that, that Peter's really talking about something slightly different that comes out of our resilience, I think. These two sections really flow together. Um, it only just occurred to me today that uh, Sam got me to come and speak when the topic is how to be strange. So I don't know if he was trying to tell me something. Um, but today we're looking at the idea of being strangely focused. Strangely focused. We have, as Christians, a particular outlook in life, don't we? Um, there he is, the culprit, you know. Uh, I don't know if you heard that out in the hall. Um, you know, we have a particular, we have a particular uh, focus. We have a particular mindset. We have what I call a, centered, a centeredness of mind that leads us to live in a Christian way in accordance with the gospel of Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with Christian language, that might not uh, make much sense to you right now, but hopefully as we go through uh, these 11 verses, it'll start to make sense. So, a centeredness of mind that leads us to live in a Christian way accordance, in accordance with the gospel of Jesus. And over the next, four, uh, next few minutes, we're going to see four lessons, um, uh, uh, four lessons for living uh, as strangely focused people. We're going to adopt the right attitude. We're going to submit to the will of God and we're going to do this in community, and we're going to do it all for the glory of God. So firstly, adopt the right attitude. Um, if you have the passage there in front of you, verse 1, uh, verses 1 and 2 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. 
For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time uh, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So the first thing I want to notice that is because Christ has suffered, uh, that we are to arm ourselves in the same way of thinking that Christ had. So we are to take on the same way of thinking, the same attitude that Christ himself had. So I think there's two questions that we need to briefly answer. Uh, firstly, what is this way of thinking that Christ had, right? If, if he said, take this, arm yourselves with this way of thinking, we need to work out what that way of thinking is. And then secondly, why is it that we have to arm ourselves? Um, because that's quite, a, that's quite a, a strong term. So when Peter says, uh, Christ suffered in the flesh, and whoever has suffered... Uh, the form of the word that he's using there uh, shows us that he's referring to the, the, the same kind of suffering as we saw last week in chapter 3, verses 18, that, that, that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, or the righteous for the, 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 the righteous for the unrighteous. So Christ suffered once and put an end to sin. And we are united with Christ. If we are Christians, that's what happens. God, uh, uh, that Jesus Christ unites himself with us so that we can be reconciled with God. And so as Christians, if you're a Christian, you're united with Christ. And so we have also suffered, uh, suffered with him in that sense. That is, um, that our sinful nature has been put to death in the same way that, that Christ was put to death. Paul talks about this idea in uh, Romans 6 when he says that we know that our old self was crucified with him, that is with Christ Jesus, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has be, been set free from sin. So uh, what Peter and Paul are, are in agreement with here is that they're saying that, that we have died with Christ. As Christians, we're united with, with Jesus in his death and resurrection. And so we've died with him and our, our sin has, has also died. Uh, you, you know, the, 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 I'm sure some of you will be familiar with the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, you know, that, that one verse of that says that my sin, oh, the bliss of that glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the tree and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. That's really what the hymn writer is talking about. That our old sinful nature has died. And this is why Peter says that, that uh, we have uh, uh, ceased from sin. That's the, the phrase he used. We have ceased from sin. Now, uh, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have sinned today, do you think? You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say all of us in this room have today. I know I have multiple, multiple times. And that's only the sins I know about. So Paul's not, or Peter's not saying that, you know, you'll, you're never going to sin again, that you cease sinning. He's not saying you have ceased sinning. He's saying you've ceased from sin. Um, we've, we've been released from the, the power of sin is what he's saying. So um, we, in other words, uh, through our union with Christ, through uh, our, our old self dying, um, we have a choice now not to sin. The, the power of sin over us has been broken. So if you want to think of it this way, um, on the cross, Christ freed us from the penalty of sin. In our current lives, we are free from the power of sin. And then in the future, it, when God comes and fulfills his kingdom, we'll be free from the presence of sin. So penalty, power, and presence. And we're not yet free from the presence of sin. And we all know that. You only have to look, look at the news or, or walk down the street or, in fact, look inside our own heads, right? Um, 
And so this is the attitude that Christ himself had, that, that he was fully God and fully human, and he chose daily not to sin. While he was on earth, he chose daily not to sin. And he is our example. And so we adopt the same manner of thinking that he had. The power of sin is broken, and we have the choice no longer to sin. And secondly, then, we're to arm ourselves with this way of thinking. So when do you normally put on armor? When you're going into battle, right? You put on armor for a conflict. You put on armor for a wall. Uh, for a wall? For a war. Now, I've never been in battle. I've never been in a war. Um, but I know enough to say that if you're putting on armor, well, it means that you're expecting to take some attack. But what is this war that Peter is talking about? Well, sometimes when we're reading the Bible, a good principle to bear in mind is that if you have a question like that, what are we arm ourselves for? The answer comes in the surrounding context. Because remember, each of these, there were no chapter and verse divisions when, when Peter was writing this letter to, to the, the dispersed churches. Um, this was one letter with themes running through it. He, he had a, a particular message that he wanted to communicate to these churches. Um, and, and so what we see, we'll find the answer to this question in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. There's a war against our souls going on. A war against our soul. We are at war with the passions of the flesh. In verse 3, he goes on to give us examples of the passions of the flesh. You know, Laura read it for us. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. What on earth was going on in society back then? But I'm guessing that it's not that far, and what's, uh, it's not far away from what's going on in society today. The people you work with, the conversation you have. What did you do this weekend? Well, let me tell you about the party I was at. Let me tell you what I did uh, when I went away in that stag do. Uh, just the other day, I was chatting to a friend of mine, and he was on a stag do, and you know the stories make your your toes curl. I was going to say it would make your hair fall out, but <laughs> <laughs> job already done. <laughs> Must have been a different story. But we are united with Christ. We've been set free from, from, the, from the power of sin, uh, but we haven't been yet set free from the presence of sin. And Peter describes this as a war. We're at war with, with the sinful nature that we're still battling against. And so the challenge is this. Uh, do we, as we battle against the passions of the flesh, the temptation to join in those things, the temptation to, to, to serve ourselves, the temptation to do whatever we want, the temptation to try and get ahead of your colleagues no matter the cost. Do we adopt the same attitude that Christ himself had in these things? In this group, especially as you consider, and I, I, was, I, I emailed someone, I was hugely encouraged by being here last week, just ordinary Christians doing ordinary things in the name of Jesus, it's incredible. Just going to work every day and, and being uh, public about your faith is an incredible thing. It's a powerful thing. But as you consider, what does this look like for you guys in the workplace and all your spheres of influence? What does it look like to take on this attitude that Christ had of, of dying to yourself and not giving in to the desires of the flesh? So that was kind of a, our first one. The next three will go quicker, you'll be glad to know. I want to leave room for discussion. Um, we're strangely focused by adopting the right attitude, but we're also strangely focused by submitting to the will of God. Think of the words of Jesus in the night before he died in the garden. He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's what he said to the Father. He didn't, he, you, you know, he, it's like, who wants to go to a cross and die? But yet he submits to the will of the Father in that. 
And when we take on the attitude, the same attitude of Christ, we'll submit to the will of the Father. And, and, and as we do that, our lives are going to become more strange, aren't they? We won't be drawn to the desires of the flesh, right? The way we, the way we think about and, and, and spend our money is going to be different. The way we raise our kids is going to be different. The way we think about moral issues is going to be different because we submit to the will of God. And Peter makes it clear that you, you either live for human desires or for the will of God. There's, there's kind of no in-between here. In verses uh, 2 to 3, he says, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh. That, that means literally for the rest of the, the, rest of the time you're in this body, i.e. the rest of your life. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. He's saying, you, you know, the, your previous, like what you've done up to this point, you've sinned enough already. Sinned enough already. Time to put your armor on. Time to go to work. Submitting to the will of God is, is kind of the foundation of being this strange people. It's what underpins everything else. This is kind of the whole point of this series in, in First Peter that you're looking at over these few weeks. Now, I think that when we start talking about being separate from the world and being distinct and being different from the world, a lot of the times we misunderstand what we're being separate from. Uh, and I'm not going to start assuming that you, you don't know the context you're in, because I'm sure you do. But I'd want to just chip in here and say that I think it's fair to say that we live now in a largely post-Christian culture. In Belfast, maybe not necessarily in, in rural areas in Northern Ireland, but in Belfast, it's largely post-Christian secular culture. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's probably what we come up against uh, or come up across. Um, so uh, I would say that secularism is the biggest challenge facing Christians today. There's no place for religion in, 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 uh, in the public discourse, if you like. But what I experience in conversation with friends and with people I meet uh, is, is, is this. Um, I didn't coin the phrase. Uh, someone else did. Uh, secularity. Um, and it's kind of like a, a personal secularism. So, you know, 200 years ago, it was impossible for you to not have some belief in God, whatever that looked like. But now it's actually impossible and alien for, for most people to believe in God. It doesn't make sense that there would be something outside of this. We have this personal this state of being where it's actually very, very difficult to believe in God. And, and if we're to have any kind of meaningful evangelism with our colleagues and with our families and with our friends and loved ones, then we need to understand that often this is the mindset that they're coming with. That, that, that actually, wow, to, there is something more than this. Um, we need to understand that as core. Uh, secularism is, is based on this idea that, that human beings are actually good. You know, that, that, that if we take religion out of the picture, you know, one thing that I hear a lot from people is like, you know, there's, there's no place for religion in the future of Northern Ireland, right? You know, look at what religion's done over the past 300 years. Let's, let's get rid of that. Um, humans are basically good. If we, if we take religion out of the question or of the equation, we'll eventually end up in some kind of peaceful utopia. But, but, but the problem is people aren't generally, aren't, aren't basically good, Right? The Bible teaches that, and history certainly shows us that. Um, we, we, see that um, we, we see that if people are left to their own devices, what happens? It, it goes horribly wrong. 
And so this faith in human progression has led us to a, a place where in the name of freedom, liberties are actually restricted. <laughs> Think about if, if, you know, if you want to, to share the gospel in your workplace, how that might go down. And, and in the name of tolerance, intolerance is justified. We're seeing more and more restrictions being placed on, on freedom of speech and, and religion. Um, I don't know if you're aware of a, a guy called Glenn Shrevener. He's an evangelist and apologist, really on the money. And, and he said that in, in today's world, everything is permitted, but nothing is forgiven. And, and you might actually find that that's, the, that's the, the kind of context in which you're having to have these conversations about the, whatever the moral issue that comes up in the break room at lunchtime or whatever. It may be abortion or, or, or gender issues or same-sex marriage or these, these big topics in Northern Ireland right now. Uh, and you, you might find that actually everything is permitted, but if you step outside of that viewpoint, you're not forgiven for that. And the reason I say all that is because we're to submit to the will of God in the midst of that and we're to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking that Christ had. Uh, but often what happens is it's easy for us to hold opinions and beliefs about the world just because they seem right, okay? So we find ourselves holding values about sexuality or, or Brexit or, I mentioned the B word, yes, or uh, free speech or whatever it might be. We hold these values and we have never gone, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I believe this about this? And what submittance to the... Listen, you can either be a person of the world or a person of the word. You can't be either. That's, that's it. We need to take our view, our, what we believe and what we think about things and we look at it through the Bible. And we say, Lord, I want to submit to you. I want to ask you what, what you think about this. And that's what I want to base my opinion on. We're either people of the world or people of the word. That's the, and that's, the, that's the, the path we walk as Christians. So we're strangely focused people. Um, can I just challenge you then before we move on to our, our next lesson? And the last two will be very brief. Um, do you, when you're in the lunchroom, when you're in the break room, do you go along with the opinion of the group? Or do you actually measure your opinions? These are some of the questions I want you to take away and consider over the next week. Okay. Uh, Peter then mentions that we do the, or, or goes into this section, verses 7 to 10, uh, where he, he says we, we are to do these things in community. What he describes the, the community of God's people adopting the attitude of Christ and submitting to the, the will of God together. So we do this with our heads. He said that um, it's the end of all things, Peter says. That means that it's not that he's, it, 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 he's, expect, well, he's expecting Christ to return at any time. Christ's return is imminent. Um, that's what he means, that, the, that, that it could, it, it's at hand. It could happen at any time. And, that, and we are in the same time that Peter was in. We are in, the, that we are in that same last days. The return of Christ is at hand. And he says we need to be self-controlled and sober-minded. So with our, in our heads, we need to take control of what we think so that we can be devoted to prayer and maximize uh, our usefulness in God's kingdom. Secondly, our hearts. We are to love one another earnestly. In the, community of, in the community of believers, in the body of Christ, we love each other earnestly. It's, it's an act of love. The word that he uses here is an act of love. It can, actually be used const, it can actually be translated as constantly. So we constantly and actively pursue one another in love because love covers a multitude of sins. And it's not to say that we uh, let each other's sins go unnoticed or unchallenged. But we cover each other's sins in the way that Christ covered ours, right? 
we actively and consistently and constantly love each other and call each other to, to repentance and to again submit to the will of God. And then with our hands, verses 9 and 10, we are to uh, practice service in hospi- hosp- hospitality without grumbling. That, if you were here last week, you know, we talked this idea of like um, uh, this, this biblical relationship between doing good in the face of persecution without grumbling, okay? Actually rejoicing and how that is a sign to the world that, that God is good. It reflects who God is and, and then the people see the reason for our hope. And it's in doing good with a glad heart in the face of inconvenience, sacrifice and suffering. And verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, um, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. So we're not saved to, we don't become Christians. God doesn't create orphans. He creates a family. We are, we are part of God's family. And um, just as, you know, I often say, like, um, when, when my wife and I were dating, um, she lived up in Coleraine, I lived in Belfast, and, and I would take time out of my week to go and see her, okay? So the normal run of my week was that we weren't married, and I would take time to go and see her. But now that we're married, I wear this ring. When I'm here with you guys, I'm no less part of that marriage, okay? I am married to my wife. We are in a marriage. Uh, in our church, we often talk about the church gathered and the church scattered, okay? So when we're together... We are obviously the church. You guys uh, are part of the body of Christ uh, and you are hopefully all part of local expressions of that in your own churches and the church gathered. But when you go to work or you, you go wherever you go as the church scattered, you're still part of the same body. You're part of the body of Christ. And what does he say? He says that, that, that we have been given God's grace for all believers, but it's given to us in particular kind of ways. We have to be good stewards of the gifts that he has given us. You have a particular role to play in serving the body. And as we do that, it's a picture of the very nature of God. So finally then, in the last two minutes, uh, I love this. Uh, Peter falls into this doxology, falls into this praise. It's almost like it just falls out of his mouth in verse 11. In order that, that in everything, God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then he, it's almost like you can hear him sing the words onto the page, to him be glory and dominion forever. The point of all of this, the point of living strange lives, the, the point of, 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 of being strangely focused is that, 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 that God will be glorified. God is glorified, I, through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever. If we are to take on the same way of, of thinking as Christ, Christ, we need to remember that it's all for God's glory. And for God to be glorified, it took the cross, right? This is actually all about the gospel. None of this is possible without the cross of Jesus. So at the cross, we see the ultimate example of, of, of being sober-minded and self-controlled. At the cross, we see the ultimate example of love covering a multitude of sin. At the cross, we see the ultimate example of, of, of faithful service in the face of persecution without grumbling. At the cross, we see the ultimate submission to God's will. We already saw that in the Garden of, of Gethsemane, right? Not your will, but mine be done. And the amazing thing is, that the amazing thing is that, that we were that before we were saved, before we were a Christian, we are the ones who are doing the persecuting. We are the maligners. We are the ones who we are the ones who were actually persecuting Christians. We are the ones who were actually enemies of God. 
And through the cross, we've moved to, from the enemies of God to the friends of God. And, and that's, that's not just our example. That's our redemption. Christ is not just our example in this. He's our, he's our redeemer. So this is how we show the world who Jesus is. By adopting the same mind of Christ. That is dying to ourselves daily. By, by arming ourselves for that fight. Uh, we rejoice uh, while we serve, even though the world blinds us. We submit to the will of God. We continue in community uh, for the glory of God uh, through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me uh, just briefly pray for us, and then uh, we'll, we'll have some discussion time. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we just uh, commit uh, this preaching of your word uh, to you. Uh, Holy Spirit, make it alive in our hearts. Uh, may it challenge us and lead us uh, to be transformed more and more into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.